Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, February the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 524 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I am hoping, hoping that this turns out to be a very worthwhile study. I'm really, really hoping so. So Sometimes, as a podcaster, as a pastor, you, you kind of have an idea, right? You have an idea of what you want to do, and then you you step behind the pulpit, you sit down in front of the microphone, and when it's finished, you feel like that the idea in your mind did not really translate to what actually occurred. In other words, the idea did not really translate in the sermon you preached. The idea did not really translate in the podcast episode that you recorded or that you you did live on the air. And that is what occurred the other day. I don't even remember what day it is now. Where I think it was Sunday. Yes, Sunday. Sunday night. And 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 I and I I have to get better at realizing this, but on Sundays, I don't know if anyone has noticed I do a lot, a lot of hours of broadcasting, a lot. You're talking a typical Sunday, five, six, sometimes seven hours of of live broadcasting. And when I get to that last hour, I'm typically pretty, I'm pretty wiped out by the time I get to that last hour. I know what you may be thinking, oh, come on, just tough it up. I mean, how hard can it be? All you do is teach. All you do is preach. I mean, come on. Well, I I understand. I understand. Maybe I should be able to be a little tougher and a little stronger, but I will just, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I get to hour five, hour six, man, even put it this way, it doesn't feel the same. In other words, that first hour, there's, it feels one way the first hour that I teach. It feels a different way the second hour. But by the time you get to hour five, hour six, hour seven, that those that feeling changes dramatically. So, so no matter what I do on that last hour, it always feels like, man, that just did not go very well. What did I do? And I and I always am very, very, very tempted. By the time I when I leave the church Sunday night. By the time I get home, I'm almost extremely tempted to go delete the last thing that I did. I'm I'm, I'm usually extremely tempted to do so because I can just hear in my voice that that it didn't feel right. And 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 a lot of a lot of that is obviously when you do hours and hours of broadcasting from an empty sanctuary in the middle of nowhere, that can impact your emotions as well. But I had this great idea. On Sunday evening, it was the last broadcast. I should I should have told myself, do something different for the last broadcast. But I'm like, you know what? We need to talk about doctrine. We need to talk about the subject of doctrine because we did a a, a podcast review of a of a podcast where they mentioned doctrine. And the more the as they talked about doctrine, this was the first thought in my mind. We, we need to talk about doctrine and figure out how we can balance the importance and the necessity of doctrine with biblical humility. There's got to be a way where we care about doctrine. We teach doctrine. We learn doctrine. We defend doctrine. But that the doctrine that we learn, the doctrine that we are defending, the doctrine that we are sharing, that very doctrine also becomes the very thing that produces biblical humility within us. So I wanted to look at the subject of doctrine and really try to get this idea that, that, that it's got to be connected with biblical humility. And, and, I, and I think I did an okay job there. I think, I think I did an okay job. And there was another thing about doctrine I didn't really get to in the first episode. Maybe we'll get to it here. That when the world's going crazy, and we talked about this in the last live broadcast, if you were listening, where we talked about uh, the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, uh, the book of Habakkuk, if I can say his name correctly, uh, we talked about the importance of doctrine and theology, uh, and and it, when you're facing an in, an unstable world, I, I 
I wanted to kind of mention the idea that we need to study doctrine when the world seems to be falling apart and everything is crazy because biblical doctrine, biblical theology is where we can find stability. And Habakkuk, when he sees his absolute world going absolutely falling apart, he reminds himself of the truths of God. So I think that's very, very important. And I wanted to get that point across as well. The, the first part, we really didn't do that. But I also knew that not only was I trying to accomplish these very practical things, that we were really going to dig in to kind of a, a study on Bible doctrine in a very academic way. So on one hand, I wanted to get us across something very practical, very devotional, very like a, a personal challenge. But I wanted to do that in the midst of what was going to be a very academic study and doctrine, like we were, like you were sitting in a, a Bible institute or a seminary classroom. And so I really, the the idea was great in my brain, but I, I didn't really formulate, well, that's going to be, that's going to feel very weird. And it all kind of went a little not perfect. And we had to spend a lot of time looking up Greek words. We spent a lot of time looking up all of the Greek words that uh, are used or that uh, that the Greek words behind the, the different places where the word doctrine is used. And we got into trying to, you know, derach, derach a, derach a. We, we try to practice using the guttural sound. We got into some just very like very specifics about Greek and, and trying to look at all of that. And I think that that was all important and it's all necessary. But again, I just felt like we missed out on some stuff. So it's Tuesday afternoon, right? Did I say Thursday? It is It is Tuesday afternoon, February the 22nd. And here we sit, empty sanctuary, and we're going to return again to the subject of doctrine. And I'm going to do my very best to make this as practical as I can. Now, I'm going to be referencing a book called The Doctrine Which Ye Have Learned, all right? And it's a it's a large book here on the subject of doctrine. It's a part of a of, of a a group of studies called Advanced Bible Study Series, and this was sitting on the pulpit. I don't know why I had it on the pulpit, and it was open. And I think it was Sunday, late Sunday afternoons or Sunday evening. I was just kind of walking around, figuring out what to do, and I look, I'm like, "Oh, there's that book on doctrine. That that okay." I've been thinking about the importance of doctrine, need to talk about doctrine. And I wanted to, so all of the ideas just came together. I immediately just rent, walked from the pulpit to back here, turned on the microphone, boom, went live. And well, you, you heard what happened. So go listen to part one and you can offer all of your criticisms, but whatever criticisms you have, I've, I've probably, I've probably already discussed them with myself, but let's hope we can make this work for this hour, however long we go. Are you ready? Bible doctrine, okay? Now, we talked about some of the Greek words, and we talked about it, so let's just jump in. And I'm not going to do a lot of review of all of the Greek words. I gave you three important, uh, four important passages to look up. John 7, 16 and 17, 1 Timothy 1, 3, Romans 6, 17, and Romans 16, 17. And I give you some very practical lessons from that, but we're not going to review that. Here we go. We're going to borrow directly from the book. The word doctrine simply means teaching. In a nutshell, Bible doctrine refers to the teaching of the scriptures. It refers to any and all teaching of scriptures. But in this course, we will focus on some of the more prominent doctrines. Okay, but make sure we understand doctrine is simply the teaching of the scriptures. Doctrine is important because anytime you open your, your Bible and you study it, you're learning doctrine. Anytime you open the Bible to teach it, you're teaching doctrine. If anyone downplays the importance of doctrine, they are downplaying literally the teaching of the word of God. Because everything you teach from the Bible, in a sense, is doctrine because the word simply means teaching. And we looked up all of the different Greek words in, in which to, uh, to understand that and to see that. All right. So just make sure you understand it's teaching. You can't say, I, I don't care about doctrine, because if you say you don't care about doctrine, you're literally saying you don't care about the teaching of God's word. It is, and this is so important. We've got to learn the doctrine that 
comes from the teaching of God's word. We've got to learn it. We've got to know it, but we have to balance it with biblical humility, which the book I have here in front of me doesn't seem worried about, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about doctrine, to try to find a way to bring in that concept of biblical humility with it, because I have witnessed in my own life and the life of so many people that we learn doctrine, we learn theology, and instead of it becoming the source of biblical, of humility, it becomes a source of spiritual pride. We have a tendency to see doctrine and theology as something we can master instead of it mastering us. Theology and doctrine can never be the subject that we master. It must be the subject that masters us. And if we are mastered by biblical theology and biblical doctrine, we will be humbled. We will develop a right spirit. You can always tell the person who's mastered theology versus the person who has been mastered by theology. Are you the person who's mastered it? You may even have a master's degree. I have master's degrees in the- theological studies. Okay, and you know what? At many times I demonstrated that I mastered theology. It did not master me because of my arrogance and attitude and, and other issues in my life. Hopefully, I'm moving past that. Hopefully. But it's a subject that we have to ask ourselves. So many times I think Bible colleges and seminaries, they turn out people who've mastered doctrine and theology, not people who've been mastered by it. Doctrine and theology should master you. It should have a profound impact on you. Those who master it walk around prideful, arrogant, ready to condemn everyone else and judge everyone else. And it's just, it's not pretty. It's ugly. And it's just, it's no fun. Just basically get on social media and look at how many Christians talk Sometimes that's the way it comes across. They're the ones trying to master doctrine and theology. They're not going to doctrine and theology to be mastered by it. I know I'm repeating that, but I'm repeating it because I don't want you to forget that phrase. It's doctrine is teaching, but it's teaching that should master you. Because we need to to balance this with biblical humility. Now, we looked at a number of Greek words right? Didach, didach, a, and I have to use the guttural sound to really get it. And whenever I hear that, I think of didache, which is one of the early, uh, early writings of the church. Uh, but there's a, a, some other, he- uh, when I said Hebrew words, Greek words um, that we looked at, but in this book, they refer to one, all right? Uh, the Greek word that they refer to is this Greek word, Didaskale, or, or didaskalia, if I can uh, say it correctly. Didaskalia, right? Or it's pronounced this way. Didaskalia. Here we go. Strong's G, 1319. Didaskalia. 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 If I said it incorrectly, I apologize. But that's, that's the word that they focus on in the book that I have here in front of me. We looked at a lot of other Greek words, but didaskalia is the first one, didaskalia. And this is what they say about this Greek word. The Greek word translated doctrine is didaskalia, which refers to the things that is taught. They give a number of scriptures where it's used that way. The act of teaching and the act of learning. Doctrine refers both to the thing that is taught and to the teaching of it and to the learning of it. Now, I I, I kind of reworded a little bit from this book. Just know I'll be deviating many times from the book just so that you understand. So doctrine refers both to the thing that is taught, the teaching of it, and the learning of it. We learn doctrine, we teach doctrine, and doctrine is the very the specific thing in which we teach. No, if I open the Bible and teach in just a general way, that's doctrine. If I teach something specific in regards to the Bible, like Habakkuk and the last live broadcast, I was teaching from the book of Habakkuk. That was teaching something specific. That was a specific doctrine. And you learning it, that you are learning doctrine. Now, let me make this very clear. In the teaching of it, whether generally or specifically, and in the learning of it, it must be balanced by biblical humility. This book is not even mentioning that. They don't don't even acknowledge this issue. I have to continue to acknowledge this issue. All right? That's 
Didascalia. I don't know why I'm having a problem with the words today. Didascalia, all right? So that, and just note that it's the teaching, teaching specifically and learning of it. Now, there is a Hebrew word. There is a Hebrew word that is found in the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. We mentioned this last time, Proverbs chapter one, verse five, where it says a wise man will hear and will increase learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. The Hebrew word here that is equivalent to the New Testament concept of of doctrine is this idea of learning. It's this Hebrew word. Strong's H Lakak, Lakak, Didaskalia, Lakak, Didaskalia, and Lakak. Those are the two main words this book wants us to understand. Now, the Hebrew word, Lakak, meaning something received in instruction. It is also translated learning, like Didaskalia, Lakak can refer to that which is taught, the act of teaching, and the act of learning. So, in fact, Didaskalia and Lakak can refer to what is taught the act of teaching, and the act of learning. Doctrine involves the the teaching, what is being taught, and learning, all right? Or as they say it, the act of the, uh, can refer to that which is taught, the subject which is taught, the act of teaching, and the act of learning. So whether you're teaching it, whether it's something specific being taught, or whether you're learning it, that is doctrine. It is important, but it must be balanced with humility, right? The learning, the teaching of it should always come from the position that you have been mastered by it, not that you are trying to master it, okay? When you share doctrine, when you teach Sunday school, when you preach, when you sit in front of a microphone, what do you want people to convey? Do you want people to convey that you are, have mastered the subject Or do you want to convey that you've been mastered by the subject? A lot of people love preachers who come across as masters of the subject. I understand that. But I think what you should care most about is not the one who's mastered it, but the one who's been mastered by it. And what you should care most in your life is not how much I'm mastering the subject, how much it is mastering you, or you will just become an arrogant spiritual, prideful jerk that is of real, no spiritual value to anyone, right? Very important concept. Now, they go on to say that right doctrine, now I'm I'm not gonna, we're not gonna look up every one of these scriptures because it would slow this down and I wanna try to see how far we can advance this and see if we can kind of at least finish this basic introductory to the subject of doctrine, this introduction to doctrine, they're going to mention a lot of things here. We could look up each one and go, mm, is, that, is that completely accurate? But I'm going to try to make an argument for each one, but I'll give you the scripture references so you may want to write these down. Right doctrine is called the counsel of God. The counsel of God. Now, I think in a sense that right doctrine is called the counsel of God because, well, the Bible, the teaching of scripture, that is God's counsel. We get God's counsel from the word of God. And so God's counsel is doctrine because it is the word of God. That's Acts 20, verse 27. The doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17. So it's the counsel of God, right? That's what's being taught. The doctrine which you have learned, well, that, that that's that's right doctrine. So right doctrine is called the counsel of God. Right doctrine is the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17. Good doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 6. Sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3. And Titus 1, 9. And Titus 2, 1. Wholesome words, 1 Timothy 6, 3. The doctrine which is according to godliness, 1 Timothy 6, 3. Uncorrupt doctrine, Titus 2, 7. And the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, Jude, basically 1, 3. All right. That is right doctrine. Right doctrine is referred to as the counsel of God. You can see how that would reference uh, the right kind of doctrine would be the counsel of God, obviously. 
Uh, the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17, hopefully the doctrine you have learned has been right doctrine, good doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 6, sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3, Titus 1, 9, Titus 2, 1, wholesome words, 1 Timothy 6, 3, the doctrine which is according to godliness, 1 Timothy 6, 3, uncorrupt doctrine, Titus 2, 7, and the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, Jude 1, 3. False doctrine is referenced the following ways. Perverse things, Acts 20, verse 30. Things contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17. Another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11, 4. Okay, all right, I'm being told I'm going way too fast. Okay, I will slow way down. All right. That's when when I when I'm sitting when I'm standing behind the pulpit, then I can see everyone riding and going, okay, they're ready to go. But when you're in an empty building, you're just like, keep going, keep going. All right, I'll slow down. All right. Let's go back up to right doctrine. All right, we'll go back to right doctrine. You can make sure all of your notes are good. All right. Twyla will be the official uh, pace setter for us. She's gonna tell me if I'm going too fast or if she, when she has it, we move on. Okay. All right, here we go. Right doctrine is called the counsel of God. Acts 20, 27. The doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17. Good doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 6. Sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3. Titus 1, 9. And Titus 2, 1. Wholesome words. 1 Timothy 6.3, the doctrine which is according to godliness, 1 Timothy 6.3, uncorrupt doctrine, Titus 2.7, and the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude 1, 3. That's how they claim right doctrine is described in the Bible. Now, you can look up each one of those references and see, but you, you, you see it's giving that the right teaching, what is being taught, is described in all of these positive ways and, and, and giving somewhat the character of right doctrine. It's the counsel of God. It's wholesome words. It's uncorrupt. It, it's according to godliness. It's the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's good doctrine. Now, false doctrine is called, number one, perverse things, Acts 20.30. False doctrine then would be perverse. It wouldn't be good. It would be corrupt instead of uncorrupted. False doctrine is called perverse things. It is called things contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17, right? Uh, the, uh, the last two, uh, the uh, false doctrine, or I'll go back to uh, right doctrine. Right doctrine is uncorrupt doctrine, Titus 2, 7, and the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, Jude 1, 3. All right then false doctrine is, I'm going to wait just a second, make sure that we have these. All right. I'm going to wait. All right, here we go. False doctrine is called perverse things, Acts 20.30. False doctrine is also called things contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Romans 16, 17. False doctrine is also called or referred to as another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. 2 Corinthians 11, 4. I'll go through those one more time. False doctrine is called perverse things. 
Acts 20.30. Things contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16.17. And false doctrine is referred to as another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11.4. Now, I would, I would like to look up each one of these references, but you see each one, we could get into a whole study and go, okay, how does that, make, how does that reference uh, good doctrine? How does that reference false doctrine? What the main point I want you to see is that there's a drastic difference in how good doctrine is referenced and false doctrine is referenced. They're very different. All right, I'm going to go through false doctrine one more time. We have a bunch here to get through. False doctrine is called perverse things, Acts 20, 30. Things contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, Romans 16, 17. Another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11, 4. False doctrine also seems to be referred to as doctrines of men, Colossians 2, 22. Doctrines of men. Now, doctrines of men clearly would be false doctrine because we, don't, we should not derive our doctrine from us. It should be derived from the revelation of God, which is scripture. False doctrine is also referred to as wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. So false doctrine is referred to as doctrines of men, Colossians 2.22. Wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. Other doctrine, 1 Timothy 1.3. Other doctrine, 1 Timothy 1.3. Remember, true doctrine is the the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's true doctrine. False doctrine is other doctrine, 1 Timothy 1.3. False doctrine is also referred to as doctrines of devils, 1 Timothy 4.1. Doctrines of devils, 1 Timothy 4.1. It's also referred to as perverse Disputings, 1 Timothy 6, 5. Perverse disputings, 1 Timothy 6, 5. Perverse disputings, 1 Timothy 6, 5. It's also referred to as words to no profit, 2 Timothy 2, 14. Words to no profit. False doctrine are, is words to no profit. I don't profit anyone because they're false. Next, concerning the truth have erred. 2 Timothy 2.18. False doctrine is referring to concerning the truth have erred. In other words, when it came to the truth, you've erred. E-R-R-E-D. You, you've erred. You, you're in error. 2 Timothy 2.18. So I guess you could refer to false doctrine is error. When it came to the truth, you're in error. That's 2 Timothy 2.18. Next, it's referred to as fables, 2 Timothy 4.4. 2 Timothy 4.4. Next, it's referred to as commandments of men that turn from the truth. Titus 1.14. False doctrine are commandments of men that turn from the truth. Titus 1.14. Right, I'm waiting. And lastly, false doctrine is referred to as heresies, 2 Peter 2, 1. 2 Peter 2, 1. Now, the idea of heresy, heresy can refer to, uh, well, I won't break it down heresy too much. Just understand heresy, simply put, Heresy is the idea of a a heretic. A heretic is someone, heretic is the person who spreads heresy, right? And And heresy or a heretic refers to a willful rejection of the truth. 
and choosing false doctrine. When someone is a heretic or is in heresy, they're taking a teaching that is a willful rejection of the truth and they're choosing false doctrine. So just think of heresy as a willful rejection of the truth. It's choosing false doctrine. Heresy or heretic. That's the basic concept there. That all of those terms are used and we would have to look at each one to go, how, how far do we want to break these down? But I think that the, the, the point here is that false doctrine is described in, or true doctrine is described in one way. False doctrine is described in a completely opposite way. So false doctrine is in a complete, is completely different than true doctrine. Now, here's the question. If someone has false doctrine, what we tend to say is that that false doctrine will be manifested in the person's attitudes, actions, and in their lifestyle. Because that would demonstrate that they have been mastered by their false doctrine. Let me say the same thing is true. If you have true doctrine, what you should hope is that you have been so mastered by true doctrine that it will reflect in your actions and your attitudes. The problem is we tend to always view doctrine and theology as simply an academic subject to master instead of it mastering us. So I think that in many cases, the attitudes and actions of people with true doctrine and false doctrine sometimes are both messed up because everyone's approached the subject in a way to, to master it, to gain an, a, you know, an understanding of it, but not allowing it to understand us, not allowing it to master us, not allowing it to do a work in us. Very important concept. All right. Okay, I was waiting to see if Twyla had any, 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 me repeat any of that. Now, here's what I want to do. There's a lot here. I'm going to skip all kinds of stuff. I'm going to give us how many here? Let me count. I may change this up. I'm skipping all kinds of stuff because, well, I'm not bound by any book. I can, I can, I can change it at any point. I want to do this. I want to give us, and I'm going to try. There's no way I'm going to get through all of these. I'm going to try to give us 11 reasons. I'm going to try to give us 11 reasons why Bible doctrine is extremely important. 11 reasons. At any point, I may change any one of these, but we're going to try to at least get 11. All right, here we go. How important is doctrine? According to the word of God, sound doctrine is extremely important. But let me state it again. It's important if the doctrine is mastering you. It becomes a source of, it becomes a spiritual pitfall if you're mastering it. Bible doctrine is extremely important if it is also accompanied by biblical humility. If Bible doctrine is not accompanied by biblical humility, Bible doctrine itself will become a spiritual pitfall and you will become arrogant and puffed up. So, the first reason Bible doctrine is extremely important is because the first person First purpose of scripture is doctrine. If you look at the purpose of scripture, one of its first purposes is to give us doctrine. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I have this app open so that if anyone asks any questions, I don't miss anything. All right, here we go. So the first reason Bible doctrine is important is because it's the first purpose of Scripture. And you should know this, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know this. I'm going to look at this one, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 
2 Timothy 3.16 reads like this. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, drum roll please, doctrine. For doctrine. Now, I'm going to look this up really quick because I didn't even think about this. I'm going to look up the interlinear here. I'm going to go to the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And guess what Greek word it is? Didaskalia. Okay, wait, I can't I can't play it for you. Didaskalia, I like to play it from the Blue Letter Bible app, but I remember I opened up the other app so that I can make sure I monitor the chat. And if I open that up, well, then that's me talking. So uh, didaskalia is the, the Greek word there. So it's the same Greek word that we have been looking at, didaskalia. All right. So, but please note the number one reason, and I'm not, these are not necessarily in order of importance, but the first reason is the purpose of scripture is to give you doctrine, to give you doctrine. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine. A student, listen, think of this. A student of the Bible is a student of doctrine. If you say, we had a women's Bible study, and at the end of the women's Bible study, no one learned any doctrine. I question that you were actually studying the Bible. If you say we had a small group, if you don't know doctrine, I'm going to say you weren't studying the Bible. Since that's the purpose of the Bible, which blows my mind because we've got churches all over the United States of America who have Bible study groups and they've got small groups and they got this and they got this and they, they got they got a million different things going on. But whenever the studies come out, they'll show that the American church is doctrinally illiterate. How can they be doctrinally illiterate if they're studying the Bible when the first purpose of scripture is to give you doctrine? <laughs> like, how is that? How does that work? Because sometimes that people look to the look to the Bible for stories and what they think are principles to give them a better life instead of doctrine, which is to be learned, and then that doctrine should be the thing that masters you. Well, let me state it this way: This I know. Hopefully, you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. The first purpose of the Bible is to give doctrine. That will learn you. We, I, we always go into it to, be, to learn doctrine. We need to go into it that the Bible doctrine is there to learn us. Bible doctrine is there to learn us. It is there to master us. It is there to reveal us. It is there to change us. It's to change our thinking, our attitudes. It's, it's, I, I really want to emphasize that. I know that may be not perfectly way to say it, but hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm really trying to, because if we, if we approach it as just something to learn, then I'm telling you, it won't become, will become arrogant. So the Bible was given for doctrine. The first purpose of the Bible is doctrine. There we have it. it the Bible is right here. Doctrine. We, I think we view it as the Bible is instructions and in how to be a good husband, a good, a good wife, a, a good. No, it, the Bible is for doctrine. Second, the Bible exalts doctrine. The Bible exalts doctrine. The Greek word translated doctrine in the King James Bible, didaskalia, and didache, didache, again, I want to say didache, but didache are also translated teacheth and learning. These words are used more than 140 times in the New Testament, which shows how important doctrine is before God. Doctrine and its companion terms are referred to 59 times in 1st and 2nd Timothy alone. Truth is referred to 21 times in John's epistles alone. The faith is mentioned 43 times. Now, I know you're going to say, repeat those. I'm going to repeat all of that. What I want you to see is that the Bible exalts doctrine. It exalts learning. It exalts truth. It exalts faith. The faith. The faith means the, the faith is 
speaking of those things that define what the faith is, the faith, not, not a faith, but the faith. And that, that faith is defined by doctrinal definitions. So let me go through all of that again. The Bible exalts doctrine. The Greek word translated doctrine in the King James Bible, didaskalia, we've talked about that one. Again, didak, didake is how you say it. I would just say didake, but didake are also translated teacheth and learning. So the, the Greek word translated doctrine is also translated teach and learn. These words, teach and learn, are used more than 140 times in the New Testament, which shows how important doctrine is before God. Teach and learn, teach and learn, teach and learn, teach and learn, teach and learn. What am I teaching? Doctrine. What are you learning? Doctrine. I'm teaching learning. In a sense, I'm teaching doctrine so that doctrine will learn you, so that you'll be mastered by that doctrine, so that there will be a change. More than 140 times in the New Testament. Doctrine and its companion terms are referred to 59 times in 1st and 2nd Timothy alone. Now you have to go through all the com- companion terms there. So just say doctrine and its companion terms are referred to many times in 1st Timothy because we'd have to look at all the companion terms and make sure that number is accurate. And I don't like giving you numbers unless we verify them. So just in that particular case, I would say choose many times. Truth is referred to 21 times in John's epistle alone. The faith, the faith, again, that's a faith that's clearly defined, is mentioned 43 times, 1 Timothy 3, 9, 2 Timothy 3, 8, Titus 1, 13, and Jude 1, 3. The faith, the faith. We don't hold to a faith, we hold to the faith, and the faith is defined doctrinally, theologically. So the first reason doctrine is important is because it's the first purpose of the Bible. It's to give you doctrine. Second is because doctrine and the concepts related to doctrine are all exalted in the New Testament, right? The Bible exalts doctrine. It exalts learning. It exalts teaching. It it exalts these concepts. Truth. Number three. The Apostle John said, we'll have to summarize this one, but just stay with me, right? Number three, the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, which refers to the sound teaching of God's word. That's, uh, in fact, and let me verify the passage here. I believe that's 3 John. Let me verify. I believe it's 3 John. I like to verify. Third John, I believe it's verse four. Third John, verse four. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. So the apostle John said, the, the greatest joy should be for us as a believer, think of that, our greatest joy should be to walk in the truth. And truth is obviously a reference to the sound teaching of God's word. It's obviously right, right doctrine. So first, the first reason doctrine is important is the first purpose of the Bible. Second, because the Bible exalts doctrine and learning and teaching and truth. And third, because the apostle John indicates that our, our joy, where we should find joy is when others are walking in the truth and when we are walking in the truth. That should be what brings us joy is walking in the truth and others walking in that truth. Your desire should be for other people to walk in the truth. Your desire and what what should bring you joy is that you're walking in the truth. That's 3 John 1, 4. All right. So number one, the first purpose of the Bible is doctrine. Number two, the Bible exalts doctrine and all of its companion terms. All right. Many, 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 many times. Three, the Apostle John indicates that the greatest joy should be when others walk in the truth. And it, I think by implication, it should be for us. Where I should find joy is in walking in right doctrine.
Now, the fourth one is going to be somewhat controversial here, all right? We got to put our thinking caps on here because this could sound like almost a works concept of salvation. The fourth one mentioned in this book is they connect sound doctrine with salvation. So let me try to explain how this could work because I think this makes sense. Sound doctrine is necessary to be saved. That's the fourth reason they say doctrine is important. Now, 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 gotta be, we got to be careful with this because we can take it because we're really quick to do this. Now, this, this, is, this is a problem because what we have a tendency to do is anyone deviates from, from any of our doctrine, we have a quick tendency to say they're not saved. But I think we can all agree there is a certain doctrinal understanding that is required for salvation, right? I mean, you can't just believe in any Jesus. You got to believe in the Jesus revealed by scripture, right? It can't just be the Mormon Jesus, the Jehovah's Witnesses Jesus. You can't be the, 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 of Arian, you can't be the Jesus of Arianism. It can't be the Jesus of, of, you know, any other religion. It has to be the Jesus of God's word. So there has to be a doctrinal understanding of Jesus in order to be saved. You can say, well, salvation is found in the finished work of Christ. It's found by putting your faith in Christ. Yes, but it's got to be faith in the right Christ. Faith in the wrong Christ cannot save you. So sound doctrine is necessary to be saved. In other words, think of the doctrine. Here's what I want you to think about. This is how important doctrine is. Think about the doctrinal things that would be required for someone to be saved. I want you to think about this. First, they would have to understand, have some doctrinal understanding of their own sinfulness, right? They would have to understand, the, uh, they would have to have a certain doctrinal understanding of sin. What sin is, sin makes you guilty before God and that you are a sinner. Not only you're, you're, you're guilty in Adam, but you're guilty in practice. You're guilty in thought, word and deed, but what you do and by what you leave undone, you've violated, you've fallen short of God's glory. You fall short of God. You, if you break one point of God's law, you're guilty of all of it. You've got to have a doctrinal understanding of sin. You have to have some kind of doctrinal understanding of God. There is a God. You've got to know something about this God. And you've got to know that only in God is there salvation, Right? Uh, yes, uh, someone just said, should I write this one down? Yeah, I think you should write a number four down because I think there's a level of truth here. You got to have a correct doctrine understanding of God and you definitely have to have a correct understanding of, of Jesus. You got to have the right Jesus. Obviously, you have to have the right God. You have to have the right Jesus. Obviously, you, how much of the Trinity do you need to understand? We can get it. That could raise some serious questions. Obviously, if you go back to the early church and the Athanasian Creed, they would, I mean, they make it very clear. Basically, if you don't understand the Trinity, you're not saved. I will argue you have to have a basic understanding, at least of who God is, who Jesus is. You, also, you have to understand that you're saved by grace alone, not through works. Or you're going to walk away saying, I'll believe in Jesus. Now I've got to work my way to salvation. Now you're in a workspace system. And remember, any gospel that's not the true gospel is not another gospel. It's false and it cannot save. So sound doctrine is necessary to be saved to at least a certain level. There has to be at least a certain level of doctrinal understanding. Are you, are you literally or just... I'll just, I'll just, I'll, I'll never forget this. And I've told the story a million times, but I, I can only use the illustrations that I've experienced, right? I can, or, or I have to borrow from someone else's stories. Okay. But it makes more sense to tell what I know. Um, I'll never forget, lived in uh, Nebraska and someone we had gone to church with. I think we went to two separate churches with them. Uh, we know them for a very long time. Uh, they're members of the church. Yeah, members of, of, of two independent Baptist churches, had been a member of a, a previous independent Baptist church. Don't even know how long the person had been going to church. But we're sitting there watching a boxing pay-per-view on a Saturday night. And it's one of those situations where no fight was currently going on. There was not much happening. And we were talking, getting ready, you know, for the, for the, for the main, main card and, and, the, and the bigger fights. And there was a bunch of guys there and we started, there was some discussion about Jesus and there was some discussion about Jesus. And we started talking about Jesus, you know, being the eternal son of God and just something about his deity. And this guy stopped with the most serious look and go, wait a minute. Are you saying like Jesus is like God? 
And we looked over at the guy like, what are you talking about? What? what? Yeah, he's the eternal son of God, one God, three distinct persons, God the Father, God the God the Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct, distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. Like, I'm like, we're looking at him like, are you joking with us? And come find out, like the guy had, even though he's been in church, been baptized, nobody questioned anything about his, you know, salvation as far as he was in the church. He had no clue basically about it. I mean, he just thought Jesus was someone who died. Like, I don't think you, I don't know what he didn't understand. It was like, I was like absolutely baffled. Like how in the world, sometimes we just assume that everyone has good doctrine and they don't. And the question is, how wrong can your doctrine be before it really gets into the area where I don't know if you can be saved? A lot of times our evangelism is simply believe in Jesus. And everybody's like, okay, I believe in Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus is. They don't really understand sin. They don't understand God. They don't understand salvation by grace alone. They don't understand like a million things. How do we work that into our evangelism? It's got to be done correctly. We're so we're so programmed, you know, get them to say a prayer, get them to say a prayer. But if you get them to say a prayer and they have no true understanding of anything, then what, what, I mean, just because they said the prayer, you feel better, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. There's got to be a certain level of doctrinal understanding for salvation. This is how the paragraph is written in the book. Sound doctrine is necessary to be saved. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered you Romans 6, 17 through 18. This refers to the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the gospel. The sinner must know the true gospel in order to be saved. He must obey it from the heart. The idea is he must be, he obeys the gospel by believing the gospel. This is explained in Romans 16, 25 through 27, which states that the gospel is preached to all nations for the obedience of faith. The obedience that saves the soul is faith in Jesus Christ. So I'll see also Romans 1, 5 and John 6, 28 through 29. Now, I, I understand that obedience of faith. Well, let's, let's just remember that obedience of faith. Faith is a gift given to us by God. So God has to give us, in a sense, that obedience. He has to give us the faith, but we can get into a whole discussion about that somewhere else. But I just want you to see that it's necessary. There, there's, a, there's a level of doctrine that's necessary. All right? I think that's very important. Number five, number five. Uh, we could spend hours on that one, but that's okay. I want to see how, how we're 52 minutes in. Let's see if we can get this further. Number, number five, this one is very straightforward and everyone will understand this. Sound doctrine is necessary to have the right worldview. Sound doctrine is necessary to have the right. You can't have the right worldview without right doctrine. Wrong doctrine, wrong worldview. Wrong doctrine, wrong understanding of the world around you. Wrong doctrine, you can't understand anything correctly. Sound doctrine is necessary to have the right worldview, which is simply the right thinking about life. Knowing Bible doctrine gives the right view of God, origins, the universe, the earth, man, sin, salvation, sanctification, spiritual warfare, spiritual victory, marriage, husband, wife, children, divorce, celibacy, the past, the present, the future, aging, death, heaven, hell, angels, the devil, demons, Israel, the church, God's will, God's calling, spiritual gifts, redeeming the time, tribulation, prayer, a thousand other things. You don't have to write all of those things down. Just know that sound doctrine is necessary uh, to have a right worldview. And guess what we have found? Statistics keep coming out, more studies, Good portion of the church does not have a biblical worldview. You can't have a biblical worldview if you don't study doctrine. Now, the question is, how are people studying Bible and walking away with no doctrine? We've, the, the modern church has found a way to study the Bible and end up with no doctrine. When the first purpose of the Bible is doctrine. Someone explain how they mastered that art. Hey, we're going to do Bible study. And when we walk away, nobody really has any doctrinal understanding. That was awesome. But you look, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me now in a roundabout way, they are being given doctrine. They are. They're just in many cases given false doctrine, but in many cases, it's some weird way, which 
It's preached, but no one ever really gains any true doctrinal understanding. I've listened to so many, I try to listen to sermons from anywhere and everywhere constantly. And sometimes I'm just like, man, if I went to that church and I listened to this preaching for week after week after week, month after month, year after year, would I have any true doctrinal understanding of anything? Would I truly have a doctrine of God, a doctrine of the Trinity, a doctrine of justification, sanctification, a doctrine of an imputed grace versus an infused grace? I mean, on and 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 on. And many people, you start talking about doctrinal issues and they just look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, uh, I don't know the stuff that's in the Bible. But if you want to write worldview, it comes from doctrine comes from doctrine. All right. So let's go through these again. We got to hurry. 55 minutes. Well, we're not going to get this done. All right. Number one, the Bible was given for doctrine. Second Timothy 3.16. Number two, the Bible exalts doctrine. Remember the Greek words translated doctrine in the King James Bible, didaskalia and uh, didache are are, uh, translated teacheth, right? Didaskalia. Okay. uh, uh, If I said it, I change the way I say it every single time. Every time I look at it, didaskalia, the reason why is I'm used to looking at it in the interlinear. And then when I look at it written here in, the, in, the, in this, it looks, it looks different. So uh, I, I want to say it differently. So that's the reason I keep changing the way. I, it depends. On, if I'm looking at the interlinear, it's easy for me to look at. Oh, didaskalia. Didaskalia. When I look at it here, it's didaskalia. Like, okay, it looks completely different. So. All right, I know you don't care, but I just want you to at least understand that I'm not just like losing my mind here. All right, so number one, uh, the Bible was given for doctrine. Number two, the Bible exalts doctrine. Number three, the apostle, uh, no greater joy can be found than knowing others are walking in the truth and you walking in the truth. In other words, doctrine is, uh, is connected with joy. Walking in right doctrine is a source of joy. Number four, sound doctrine is necessary to be saved. Number six, or or number five, sound doctrine is necessary to have the right world view. Number six, sound doctrine is necessary to make God's people perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Right doctrine is the very thing that will perfect, mature you, and make you thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If you want to be mature in your faith, you need doctrine. If you want to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, you need doctrine. You have to be receiving doctrine on a regular and consistent basis. Now, I want to remind us this, okay? This has really kind of become the theme for tonight. Theology and doctrine is something that must be learned. Theology and doctrine is something that must be taught. But we all must always approach it that theology and doctrine is to be learned, taught, studied, so that it will master us, not that we will master it. Because the minute doctrine becomes that which we master, we will become arrogant, puffed up, proud, condescending, judgmental, and a jerk. If it masters us, it should humble us. We should be merciful, gracious. We should be filled with love. We should be peacemakers. We, all of the things the Bible describes the right attitude should be. We should be the one who loves our enemies, turn the other cheek. That should be the character that starts being manifested in us. Never perfectly, obviously, but the more we're mastered by doctrine, the more we should reflect the character of the God who gives us correct doctrine. All right, I cannot stress that enough. Sometimes I think we want to, we master doctrine by mastering the teaching of our favorite preacher. And then we become a part of team, whichever preacher it is. And then we go around condemning and talking garbage and trash to all the other teams. We're not on team, whichever preacher you love. We should be on the team of truth and biblical doctrine, and we should be mastered by it. 
All right. That I, I, I cannot stress that. And I know I've repeated that a hundred times in this hour, but I did not repeat it enough. All right. And just to ensure that by note, but that I did not in any way, shape or form mess anyone up. Remember the, I'm going to give you the three, three important, two Greek words and one Hebrew term, just to make sure we end this correctly. And I don't uh, beat myself up for messing anything up. All right. For some weird reason in this Habakkuk, I was going to say Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I messed that up at some point. I'm trying to correct all of my mistakes, okay? Habakkuk, I don't know. I just taught on it, and the next thing you know, I started saying it incorrectly, all right? So that's the first thing I want to correct, all right? Then two Greek words. The first Greek word is the one that's used most here. It's this Greek word. Okay, wait, I, I, hang on, hang on. I got to close this out, got to close this out, all right? Now I can go play the Greek word. All right, here we go. The, the first, the main Greek word that it, that's used, that is translated doctrine a lot in the New Testament is this. Maybe. Strong's G, 1319. Didaskalia. 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 That's the, the one that is used the most, okay? Didaskalia. It is also... There is another Greek word here, okay, um, didaskalia. In fact, I'm going to find all of the Greek words here. Didaskalia, then didarche, didach, didache, 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 okay, is D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Didache, didache, didache is how it's pronounced, didache. I want to say didache. And you know why, because we've studied the Didache here in this church. But didach, and they definitely use that guttural sound, didach a. And then it's not didache with like didach k, it's didach a. Right? Just so that we make sure we have these correctly. All right. I could have prayed, uh, played that one for you, but that's okay. Didach a. And then remember the Hebrew word. The, so, didaskalea. Uh, that's the one Greek word, didache. That's the second Greek word. And then if you go to the Old Testament and you go to Proverbs chapter one, verse five, where it says a wise man will increase in learning. That's the Hebrew equivalent. And it's this Hebrew word. Strong's H3948. Lekach. 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 Didaskalia, didachay, lakach. All right? And again, they want to use that guttural sound, which I'm horrible at doing. I'm horrible at doing it. But if I don't do that correctly, then it sounds like I'm saying it incorrectly. All right? Didaskalia, didachay, didachay, I should say, and lakach. Those are the three words. Two of those are Greek. One of those are Hebrew. It's not the most important thing, but I just want to make sure you have those down. And we talked about that a lot in the last, uh, the last episode. The reasons why doctrine is important. Number one, the Bible is given for doctrine. Number two, the Bible exalts doctrine. Number three, hey, joy is found in walking in the truth, walking in doctrine. Sound doctrine is necessary to be saved. Number five, sound doctrine is necessary uh, to have the right worldview. And number six, sound doctrine is necessary to make God's people perfect, and thoroughly furnished unto all good works, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. The main purpose of the Bible is doctrine. And from that doctrine, you are perfected and thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But you will not be perfected by that doctrine if you simply see doctrine as the thing that you master. You must be mastered by it. There you go. That concludes our look at doctrine this evening. I hope that was beneficial in spite of any mistakes I may have made. All right. There we go. All right. Okay. I don't, I don't think there's anything else I need to correct, but I, I think I worked all of that out. All right. There you go. If uh, I'm going to hang on, I'm going to turn this down really quick. Turn down this volume. I'm going to open up the app again to the chat just to make sure I haven't missed any comments, questions, or anything from anyone. Here we go. All right. Okay, good. I, there's other people listening as well. Thank you.
I hope that was be- uh, beneficial. I hope that was beneficial. Uh, that I, I just, um, I, I just, I, as I tried to say in our study of Habakkuk, right now, when everything seems out of control in the world, Bible doctrine is so important. We got to focus on those things that we can know because Bible doctrine is not changed by the earthly reality we experience. All right. It's not, it's not good. A lot of people are listening. So just, yeah, I'm going to start going back through our Habakkuk study because that was so, so very important to me today. But I wanted to make sure we advance this and we'll finish up these reasons and doctrine. I know that there may be lots of questions about, well, wait a minute. If doctrine is required for someone to be saved, which doctrine? That's that's been the debate in church history for 2,000 years. If you don't believe me, look up the Athanasian Creed. Look up the Athanasius Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Read the first part of the Athanasian Creed. (laughs) Just read it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. And then look at everything the Athanasian Creed says you must believe basically in order to be saved. And then uh, talk to all of your friends who are Christians. Ask them, some, take everything in the Athanasian Creed, turn it into questions and say, oh, what do you think about this? What do you, and see how many they get wrong. And then you would be like, well, you're not saved. The, the modern church has really downplayed the significance of doctrine and salvation, where the early church basically said, no, you have to believe this, 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 and this, and this, or you're not saved. And that sounds so contrary to our way of thinking. But if you think about it logically, it makes sense. If salvation is based by faith alone, well, that faith has got to be placed in the right things. It's got to be the right God, the right Jesus, the right gospel. I mean, Paul said, if you have the wrong, if you have the wrong gospel, you are anathema. So this is a part of, doctrine that that a lot makes a lot of people uncomfortable and it because it really challenges a lot of concepts but all right all right and uh, uh twyla or heather or nicole any any of you you can post uh the uh athanasian the athanasian creed in the uh discord channel and then everyone can see what i'm talking about all right there you go all right i'll stop right there and i'll figure out what i'm going to do next if i'm going to do anything else all right everyone have a great day god bless